0: the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Being the dean of a seminary uh, is a very different experience from being the bishop in a diocese. This last Ash Wednesday uh, was a quiet day at the seminary. The refectory was closed. It was a fast day. Uh, We had the day to hear meditations from a fine priest uh, and to say our prayers and reflect uh, as we began uh, the Lenten season. I was able to spend a particular amount of time uh, in quiet uh, and in privacy in the sense of being in the presence of God. An amazing thing happened to me uh, as I said my prayers that day because the seminary is a place where we form people for ministry and the experiences of worship and work and study that we have formed that life. And as I was praying about uh, our work there uh, and our task of forming leadership uh, for the church, my mind was flooded with images of growing up uh, in Trinity Church in Natchez, Mississippi, as a child. Uh, I sang in the junior choir. Uh, I was an acolyte. Uh, in the junior choir, I have hymns that still go through my head, some of which are no longer in the hymnal. Advent tells us Christ is near. Christmas tells us Christ is here. In Epiphany we trace all the glory of his grace. Then three Sundays we'll prepare for a time of fast and prayer, that with hearts made penitent we may keep a faithful Lent. Holy Week and Easter then, tell who died and rose again, and I'll leave the rest of that hymn to your imagination. But you see how that experience as a child in that church was so formative. And one of the images that came to my mind in the choir and as crucifer was the the image of the junior choir and then the senior choir with me as an acolyte uh, singing the great litany. There's really nothing like it uh, when it is done in such a wonderful uh, penitential setting. Do you remember how after the claim God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, God the Son, redeemer of the world, God the Holy Spirit, sanctifier of the faithful, it begins Remember not, Lord, our offenses, nor the offenses of our forefathers, neither take thou vengeance of our sins. Spare us, good Lord, spare thy people whom thou hast redeemed with thy most precious blood. And be not angry with us forever. And then the first petition after that, from all blindness of heart, from pride, vainglory, and hypocrisy, for envy, hatred, malice, and all uncharitableness, Good Lord, deliver us! Over and over, year after year, uh, I heard those words. And in the choir, there would be a hymn that we would sing at the end of the litany. Lord, who throughout these forty days for us this fast and pray, teach us to mourn our sins, and Thee by Thee close to stay. Uh, there, I was intrigued that the dean quoted that passage from the. The first chapter of the epistle of John, because Mr. Keenley at evening prayer, which I was an acolyte every year for the 14 years that I did that began that evening prayer with those words. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness day in and day out in Lent are uh, hearing those words. The colic that came to mind though at Ash Wednesday as we as a community prayed together was that wonderful colic from the 1549 prayer book which in the 1928 prayer book, the rubric required that it be read every day along with the colic from the day. Almighty and everlasting God who hatest nothing that thou hast made and dost forgive the sins of all those who are penitent Create and make in us new and contrite hearts that we worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness may obtain of thee, the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness. Those words, day in and day out, are formative. They, they are like ink in my soul. I've carried them with me uh, all my days. And that colic, if you will, points to the cross of Jesus Christ, the instrument of God's mercy, the means of grace and forgiveness that makes it possible for us to have new and contrite hearts because we're able in the context of God's grace and love to acknowledge our sinfulness and to receive God's mercy. That worldview is something that is molded out of what we're doing here in this church today. One, of course, difficulty is that the world that we live in outside uh, doesn't understand uh, this world that I just described to you. I think when I was here, when the dean was installed, I may have used the story that when I was the rector of All Saints Church in Chevy Chase, having retired as bishop, I used to go down to Starbucks in the evening occasionally and meet with the graduate students from American University. And I got to know them quite well. And one night after I thought the relationship had progressed to the point of connection, I said, why don't you all come up to All Saints Church sometime? We have four services on Sunday morning. We'd be glad to see you, have you with us. And one of the graduate students said to me, oh, Bishop, he said, you know, that Christianity is yesterday. He said, it's negative. It talks about sin and we believe in love. And I said, you mean to tell me you live in Washington, D.C. and don't believe in sin? (laughs) What he thought about when he thought about sin was some dastardly act, robbing a bank, something illegal, something gross. But you see, if you think about the first Sunday in Lent, the Old Testament lesson, when you were in here in church on the first Sunday in Lent, that Old Testament lesson was from the book of Genesis. It was the story of Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden and the tree in the midst of the garden that they were not to touch. And of course, Eve was beguiled by the serpent, and then she gave apples to Adam. And he ate it, and when the Lord found them naked, he said, who told you? And, of course, Eve said, I mean, Adam said, the woman, She's it's her responsibility. She gave it to me. I would never have thought of that. <laughs> and the woman said, of course, the serpent uh, beguiled me. But what that's all about is what the dominion of sin is all about, and that is uh, our edging God out, our being in charge, our being in control, uh, our being, if you will, the... President, uh, and our free will uh, is the problem. Our free will is the source of sin. We don't become sinners by sinning. We, because we are beguiled by our free will, we sin. We're under its dominion and under that power, and that's what the cross is all about. The choices and the decisions we make. Two or three months ago, I had a call. Uh, from a young man who was in Milwaukee and he said Bishop I'd love to drive out uh, to the seminary and see you I'm going to be here for the week uh, on a job and I said well indeed uh, come out I'd love to see you and uh, I had not seen him in years and I had not kept up with his family Uh, but what I had in my presence was a, a very angry young man and it appears that when he was about eight years old, his the father had decided that he no longer loved his mother, but rather he loved somebody who was about half his age. Uh, and he deserted his family uh, and he left them. Uh, and the garbage of that decision was in his life. And he was very angry about it and he had never been able to deal with it. And it had affected his, his whole family. And so we were able to sit there and talk about it. We were not going to solve that, that problem at that moment. But I said, you know, let's go in the chapel uh, and pray about that. Because what your father has done to you, you're carrying with you and you can't let it go. It's one thing to have it happen to you. It's another thing to keep it with you. Uh, let's go in the chapel uh, and ask God to give us the grace for you to forgive him. Uh, and if you can forgive him... Uh, It doesn't make what he did right. It means that you can leave it there uh, and then your life can go on. And we talked about how that anger was affecting his children, uh, and it was indeed affecting his children. And so, you see, we see that choice, that choice by his father that distorted his life and the life of his siblings and his mother uh, and everybody else. Uh, That's what the book of Genesis is talking about, choices we make that distort the beauty and the wonder of this creation which God has made. When we were standing in the sacristy and I was talking to the dean, I told him about an issue I had when I first married Louise at age 38. I had been the rector of the university parish for for about four years and married this lovely young lady. The only problem was, as a single person, I played bridge with all the ladies in the parish, and they sewed for me, and they cooked for me, and they ironed for me, and they cleaned for me. You know, I thought I was uh, Prince Charles, (laughs) and then I married a wife. Think about that. Uh, And we were at a luncheon right after we came back from our honeymoon, and Louise was at one end of the table and I was with the other, Uh, and she said, Ed, get me moved up by you so that we can be together. I said, Louise, I can't do that. The lady who had the luncheon, of course, was one of my bridge-playing buddies, and I couldn't deal with that pressure. Uh, And so uh, the facts of the matter were, I didn't do it. And the only problem was we had to go home. (laughs) And then uh, we began to talk about that, and I said, Louise, we need to get this straightened out. We can't go to bed this way. Uh, After two or three times, she looked me in the eye and she said, "I'm not going to talk to you. You sound like you're right even when you're wrong." <laughs> what she was saying to me is that I can justify almost anything I want to do. Uh, that's what the dominion of sin looks like. It crowds one out of the relationship uh, that uh, that we have that we've been given. I had a parishioner a number of years ago who called me up and uh, said, uh, "Father." Uh, I've been an Episcopalian all my life, but I'm tired of this sin in the prayer book that talks about miserable sinners. She said, that's not who I am. And I said, well, let's talk about that. And so I went to uh, talk to her. Her son was a friend and uh, and on the vestry. uh, And she wanted to transfer to the Ethical Society. And uh, we didn't get anywhere. And she said, will you transfer me to the Ethical Society? And I said, no, uh, but I'll write them a letter and tell them you're ethical. Uh, And I did. And then I visited with her son because we knew her very well. She was a formidable person, a lovely person in many ways, but a controlling person. She was well healed, and everybody did what she wanted to do, what she wanted them to do. And if you didn't do what she wanted you to do, she didn't reward you. And with her children, she controlled them by the assets that she had. What does sin look like there? See, a management uh, that's not free for relationships. It brings people into the kind of authentic relationship that love is all about. But a need to be in charge when you really don't need to be in charge. Or just think about what we're wrestling with in Crimea today. Listen to all the reasons why we do or not do those things. We can make cases for almost anything because the ego, uh, when it is in charge, can defend almost any behavior. It's that dominion uh, out of which sin emerges and relationships and God are crowded out. Or just take the, the theft, if you will, of the 777 jet. That decision, with all its destructive implications for over the lives of over 200 people, what drove that kind of decisions? It's that dominion, uh, if you will, that the Scripture is talking about for Lent and Ash Wednesday and sin. That's what it's all, that's what it's all about. And we live in a counterculture here in this church. The dominion of sin that Jesus died to free us from, the world out there doesn't understand. It's a counterculture. The dean was talking about my former parish. I happened to be sitting in that church on the first Sunday in Lent, and they did the uh, choral litany, which just delighted my soul. And uh, Andrew Archie talked about the church as a counterculture, and he said, over the doors of the church... There ought to be words, come here and hear the truth. Come here and hear the truth of the gospel, uh, that we are sinners. But hear it in the context of the cross of Jesus Christ, who died because of our sins. But because of his death, reconciles us to him through the power of the cross and the resurrection. There's a wonderful passage in the 16th chapter of the gospel according to St. John. ...that says the first work of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin. Think about that. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because you did not believe me. That means that when he came as the Son of God, we rejected that. Of righteousness because I go to my Father... Which meant that his crucifixion and resurrection vindicated, if you will, what he taught to us of judgment, because the judge of this rule, the judge of this world, is judged. The cross is the judgment of the sin of this world, our desire to sit uh, in the place of God. Every year, uh, Father Archie invites me to the Church of Saint Michael and Saint George uh, to talk to the high school class that is being confirmed, and one of the things that I want them to understand is something about, if you will, what we're talking about today, the nature of sin and the nature of grace. Children in this culture are under a great deal of pressure, the pressure of drugs and sex, of conformity to a world whose values are are crooked in terms of what we understand uh, about human life. And it's my great privilege to be able to sit with those young people and talk to them about the grace and the love of God. And that the love of God being at the the heart of all of life. And one of the things that that means is that every life uh, is precious. Uh, I might even say to them, as I often do, you will never be any more precious than the day you were born. It's not possible. And if the ego ever beguiles you into believing that you can work and be more precious, that will open, if you will, the jaws of hell. Because love is free. It cannot be earned. One of the saddest words that you'll ever hear if you have an issue with someone is, if they say to you, after all I've done for you, it's for sale. Love is not for sale. It is from grace. It is free. Parental love, as holy as it can be, is a free gift of preciousness bestowed upon our children. And that's one of the things that I want those young people to understand because they will be under a lot of pressure to conform to the wishes of others so that they will be acceptable. And if we can get them to believe that they are acceptable on the day they were born and that if we talk about ethics, ethics don't, create goodness, they protect it. We've got it all turned around. And so it's a wonderful opportunity to talk to our young people. And so when we begin to think about about this Lenten season and that formation that I talked to you about in Trinity Church, the same formation uh, that goes on here, the great privilege that we have in living in a community where the truth is told about human life in the context of a cross that makes every human life precious to God and that there's nothing that can be done to change that. My recommendation to you in the Lenten season is to help, if you will, form that ever more deeply in your soul with some of the words uh, that I said to you. What about that wonderful colic for Ash Wednesday? Every day when you're here in church or at a Lenten gathering or on Sunday, Open your prayer books up to that colleague for Ash Wednesday uh, and, and read those words and meditate on those words and the gift that it's talking about. Almighty and everlasting God, who hatest nothing that thou hast made and dost forgive the sins of all those who are penitent, create and make in making us new and contrite hearts that we, worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may obtain of thee, the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.